evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each year, Pat hosts an apologetics conference located in beautiful Hawaii. Today, we will be continuing our broadcast with another fabulous teaching from Greg Kokel entitled Tactics. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our guest speaker, Greg Kokel, with part two of the message entitled Tactics. So you're gathering information. The goal is to know what the person thinks. The next step in the game plan is you want to learn why they think what they think or believe what they believe. This is especially true if they've gotten into something spiritual. All right. Well, the Bible's been changed over all these years. You can't trust it. Really? What do you mean by that? Let them explain it more. Then you got another question. It's not your job to disprove them right now. Forget about that. We're not even going there. You don't have to do that. You got another question. The purpose of the question is to re reverse the burden of proof. In other words, they make a claim. The Bible's been changed. It is their job to give you reasons why they think it's changed. It is not your job to prove that it hasn't changed. If they make the claim, they bear the burden. Okay? So if the DA comes and knocks on your door and says, you robbed the bank, you get to say to the DA what? What? Prove it. Now, I asked that question to a church. There's a thousand people in that audience. There's Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. When I say, you get, the DAA says, you robbed the bank. And you get to say, and somebody yelled from the back, what bank? <laughs> that actually happened. <laughs> no, I didn't rob that one. I robbed another one. No, the burden of proof is on the person who makes the claim. And if the claim is controversial, like you did the crime, then you can tell the other person, prove it. That's the idea behind the second use of Columbo. So we're gathering information first by asking, what do you mean by that? And now we're reversing the burden of proof. We're not going to give them a free ride. We're gonna, not going to let them say whatever they want to say. And then that, and it's our job to try to disprove them. No, we're going to ask them this question. Why do you believe that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Or what is the evidence for your view? Something like that. Any variation is fine as long as you're pressing them. Now, I want you to see something about just what I've offered. This is all review so far. You, as the Christian, what pressure is on you? None. What's hard about this? Nothing. You're just drawing them out. You are not committed to go anywhere beyond this, but just to discover what they believe and why they believe it. That's it. And if there's no opening after that, or you don't know how to go, then forget about it. It's all right. But I'm going to tell you a secret. I've seen it time and time and time again. People come into a conversation with their sails filled with themselves and their own ideas contrary to Christianity. Okay. Maybe at the university or workplace or something like that. And when the Christian, when I start to ask a couple of questions, it's amazing how the wind just goes out of the sails. Right? Because I get what I called last time the Simon and Garfunkel response, which is the sounds of silence. You ask them what you believe or why do you believe it? And it's like dead air. Okay? 
What have you done? You just asked a question. Now it's their time to put up or shut up, so to speak, and they got lots of times, not always, but lots of times, they got nothing to say. And so you, this is why you can make progress without knowing anything. Just asking the right question. I want to tell you something. There's a guy at Portland State University, Portland State University, P Peter Bogosian, an atheist. He's got a, a, a publication that's called Street Epistemology, and he trains atheists to do this to Christians, just what I'm telling you. He must have read my book. But he did not footnote me. In other words, he's, tra he's training atheists to ask Christians questions about their own convictions, and Christians are left flat-footed. And the tragic thing is, I watched a video, you know, the GoPro deal, on the shoulder of the atheist talking to two Christians, and those Christians are shuffling back and forth and back and forth, and they can't answer the simplest question. And all they can say is, well, I just believe it, I just believe it, I just believe it. That's the first video posted on Bogosian's site. The second companion video to it is a video made by one of those Christians who is now an atheist thanking the Bogosian disciple for asking him questions so he'd realize that Christianity is a bunch of hooey. That's what's happened to our young people who don't know how to defend their faith. This is precisely what Pat is doing here on this island is so important. And why it's important that you're here. And you begin to pass these things on to your own kids as you're able. But what I want you to see is the capability that these atheists without the truth had to turn, totally turn a Christian upside down without giving a single argument, only asking questions the Christians couldn't answer. Because that caused a seed of doubt to grow, and it ended up flourishing, and that one Christian man walked away from his faith and was profusely thanking the atheists for helping him out doing this. Okay. Now, those are the first two uses of Columbo. You ask, what do you mean by that, and how did you come to that conclusion? Okay. If you go no further, you've done a lot. You've engaged. You've made a friend. You've learned something about how the other side thinks. You might have even put a stone in their shoe just by asking the questions. Okay. That's a great way to go. But there's a third use of Columbo, and that's what I want to do now, okay? The third use of Columbo is to make a point with questions. You make a point with questions. Now, there are two kinds of points that you might want to make. Let me finish this part, and then I might backtrack and give you a little bit, a tidbit that I uh, left out about the second use of Columbo. You're going to use your questions to make a point. Now, the difference between the third use of Columbo and the first and second use of Columbo is with the first and second use of Columbo, you don't need to know nothing except for the question. You could be an absolutely brand new Christian. You are playing the student. You are drawing people out with your questions. You are getting an education and trusting, and I'm kind of promising you, that just the asking of questions is going to make a difference in another person's life. It happens all the time. Okay. The third use of Columbo, you got to know something. That is, if you're going to use your questions to make a point, guess what you got to know? You got to know the point. Okay? Now, the point might be your own view. You're going to use questions to communicate your own view about something rather than just stating it. And the reason is, is it brings the other person along and it's more conversational 
and therefore it has more impact. So instead of preaching your view at the other person, you are going to think, how can I include that person in a series of questions to help me make my point? Now, let me give you a very simple example of this. So I've been doing radio for 29 years, and uh, you can still podcast the show. In fact, if you want to learn tactics, podcast the show. It's only three hours a week. Well, there's two one-hour shows, and there's two 20-minute shows. Okay, that's three hours, basically, which is one L.A. commute. So it's not burdensome. And it's two Honolulu commutes, because I had to drive here today. I know sometimes the traffic could be bad. But the point is, this is where you can see the tactics in action. Colombo is the game plan. There are other tactics in the book that help the game plan. I'm not getting into any of that right now. I'm just explaining the game plan. But on the radio show, somebody called, me, called in, and, and told, a young man said, I'm a new Christian. Jay said, great, welcome to the family. He said, but I don't know why I have to share my own faith with my roommates. He's a college kid, and he's probably getting some pushback from the roommates now. So he's feeling a little uncomfortable, and he wants to get a little relief from me. Like, don't worry about it. You've got your faith. That's all that matters. And of course, that's not the truth, right? So he wanted my point of view. I said, now I have a point of view about this, but I wanted him to get come along with me. So I said, let me ask you a question. Mm, Columbo. This is Columbo number three. Let me ask you a question. Why did you become a Christian? He said, well, I became a Christian so I could get forgiven. Well, that's a good reason. I said, what would have happened if you didn't trust Christ? Well, that I would be forgiven. Then I would get punished for my own sins, essentially. Now, does he know the answer to his own question? The question of why he should share with his roommates? He does, but he doesn't realize it. So I asked him those two questions, and I just set it up, and then I paused for a moment. I just wanted it to sink in. He said, I became a Christian because I wanted to be forgiven. If I hadn't become a Christian, I wouldn't get forgiven. I'd get punished. So I just let it set. Now, you can't have too much dead air on radio. It's not a good policy. People change the station. But I just gave it a beat or two. Then I heard in my headset, him. Oh. <laughs> if I didn't become a Christian, then I wouldn't have my sins forgiven, and I'd be punished. Therefore, if my friends don't become Christians, then they would get punished, too. Ah, bingo. I mean, it's common sense. It's easy, but he hadn't put it together. He hadn't connected the dots. I could have just said that, but do you realize it doesn't have the same impact as if I would have used some questions to bring that person along. Now, I don't have time to go into a lot of other illustrations, but you get the point. If you're going to make a point, you try to make your point using questions that involves them in the process, okay? So that's the first use of the third use of Columbo. What kind of point? Well, one kind of point is your own point of view. Here's the second kind of point. You might want to exploit a weakness or a flaw that you see in another person's point of view. So you, in your training, at your conferences, your reading, Pat's book, some of the other stuff you find on the internet, you might realize, okay, this is a problem with the view that they've just offered. You could go right at it, and you could say, well, that's not going to work, and let me tell you a thing or two. And you give them the three reasons why their view is wrong. Okay, that's useful, but it's got some liabilities. How about instead, if you use questions to make the point? If you use questions to make a point, you have another thing that's going to happen. You can enlist that person 
as an ally to defeat their view. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In any particular issue, something that comes up, it's a flaw, and you want to point out why it's wrong. Well, usually there's two or three steps involved, right? You get this, and then this, and then this, and therefore you're wrong, right? What happens, though, when you're going for the you're wrong part, and the person knows you're going for the you're wrong part, and they see you putting up these pieces to prove that they're wrong? What are they thinking? Every time you put a piece on the table to try to get further towards the you're wrong part, they want to take that off because they don't want you to tell them you're wrong. What if we can get them to put the piece on the table themselves? What if we can use a question to get them to put our piece on the table? If they put the piece on the table, they aren't going to take it off very quickly. They put it there. And you get them to put it there by using questions. So I, had, I, w I mentioned the book on relativism. I was in a Barnes & Noble doing a presentation soon after that book came out. And they did a little pitch for it, talked about the topics, did some Q&A afterwards. There's a guy that came up to me, and he said to me, he had overheard some of the things I was saying, and he said, you know, um, it's interesting, you know, you're talking everything, but look, I'm Jewish. He said, I believe in God, and I try to live a good life, so why do I need your Jesus? He wasn't belligerent, but it was a straightforward kind of question. And so I said, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Ooh, if I ever say that to you, duck. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? He said, no. I said, do you, do you think, here's my first question. Now, notice what I'm doing. It's Columbo number three. I'm enlisting him as an aide. I want him to put something on the table that I'm going to use to make my point to him. With me? So I said, do you think that people who commit moral crimes ought to be punished? This illustration's in the book. People who do bad things, should they pay for it? He said, well, since I'm a prosecuting attorney, yeah. Now, I, didn't, I got lucky on the attorney part. I didn't know that. But uh, OK, great. Most people have a sense. You do bad things, you ought to pay. So OK, I agree. I agree. Yes, the person who does bad things ought to I agree. We're together. We got one piece. Okay, second point. Have you ever done any bad things? Oh, this is different now, isn't it? Because it's personal. But, you know, it's just a matter of fact, it was straightforward. It wasn't I'm, I'm not laying a trip on him. I'm just saying, let's what did he say? Yeah. What did I say? So have I. Oh, we got another piece on the table. We both agree on it. No fight yet. Okay. Now, I said, so we both agree that the, person who, that, that the person who does bad things ought to pay for it, and we both agree that we have done bad things. Right. You know what I call that? What, he said? Bad news. Do I have to tell this man he's a sinner? Why not? No, why not? Because he just told me. Do I have to tell this man that he's under judgment? No. Why not? Because he just told me. Now, he wasn't thinking about that when he walked into the Barnes & Noble. But I know something about human beings because I've read the book. And I know we're all broken and we're all under judgment. And we all understand justice. And so I'm just drawing that out with a few questions. Now i got two big important things on the table. He is not going to take those off the table. He put them there. And so then I said, at this point, something like, okay, we're both in big trouble. Are you interested in in a pardon? 
Now, I wasn't asking him if he wanted to become a Christian, but you see the point. You know, if you know you're in trouble, then that's when something like a pardon starts to sound appealing. Bad news first, right? Then the good news. And then I just explained to him that God has made a provision by God taking the punishment on himself in the person of Jesus so that we can be released and go free because now Jesus is in the dock, the train. I was talking about earlier. Okay, I don't think I used that exact language. That was 20 years ago. I use the trade language now because I like that. I think it communicates well. But notice how I am moving forward using questions to make a point, but I'm the particular use of the questions is to help him get the help is to use him to put the pieces on the table. Now, you might have noticed this, but I'm going to make it explicit because I don't want it to slip by. You have to know how to get to the end. You have to know where you're going and how to get there. If you don't know where you're going, that is, how to answer the challenge or make the point, and if you don't know how to get there, you can't do this. That means there's a value to learning that stuff. And then using questions to employ that in a conversation. Let me give you another example. It was a Q&A session. It's actually in a church. Gentleman in the audience said, prove to me that God exists. Okay, that was my challenge. I told him, you know, I was at a disadvantage because of the way he asked his question. So I'm doing a little preliminary work here before I get into addressing the issue. I said, what you said to me is prove. I don't know what would count as proof to you. So just keep this in mind. If anybody ever asks for proof and you do not deal with this, you are dead in the water. I'm just going to tell you that. Because no matter what you say, you could be Pat Zucarin or Greg Kokel or Norm Geisler or Gary Habermas. You could lay all this wonderful stuff out and they're going to say what? That's not proof. So you're stuck. If you let them frame the argument that way. So I just happened to tell the guy, I said, if I don't know what's proof to you, what qualifies as proof, then I, I, you know, I, I can't go forward. Secondly, you said proof to me, and I don't know the psychological things in your own mind that are going to be, need to be overcome to be, to offer you something that's persuasive, okay? So notice the liability of the way the question's asked. So I said, do you mind rephrasing the question? That's how I got around it. And he said, okay, can you give me a good reason that God exists? Okay, that, that's better, right? Sure. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? That's what I said to him. No, go ahead. They're kind of simple, pretty obvious ones, but let's bear with me. First, I asked him, do you believe things exist? Yes. Okay, good. So do I. Easy one. Second question, the things that exist, do you think they always existed? In other words, this is, I'm asking basically if the universe is eternal, okay? And he said, no, the universe came into existence at some time in the past. Now, how far past is a matter of debate, and I don't want to get into that with you guys. But basically what we're talking about is the Big Bang, okay? Now, I know some Christians don't like the Big Bang, all right? doesn't bother me a bit because it fits our, per, our story perfectly. Forget about the age of the universe. It's not even on the table right now. The Big Bang, it fits our story. In the beginning, bang! Big Bang needs a big banger, right? 
That's the cosmological argument for God's existence. I just made it simple. You don't have to buy William Lane Craig's books. There it is. One line. Big Bang needs a big banger. That's where I'm going to. That's the, that's the argument. That's the, that's the point I'm trying to make. A Big Bang needs a big banger. But I'm going to get there it's piecemeal. Yes, things exist. No, they didn't always exist. They came into existence. Great, I'm with you. Okay, great. Now here's the question. What caused everything to come into existence? And I, re and I pointed out there are only, it's not a hard question to answer because there are only one of two alternatives. Either something caused it or no thing caused it. You've got to say no thing instead of nothing because if you say nothing, people will treat nothing like it's something. Either something caused it or no thing caused it. Now, the eight, that's it. There are no other alternatives. Either A or non-A. It's called the law of excluded middle. I mean, it's, in terms of reason, it's absolutely airtight in terms of the options. Either something or no thing. So what say you? Now it's the ball's in his court. Now that's, that's the question that matters. Now he doesn't want to say something. Why not? Because he's an atheist. There isn't something outside of the universe. He's a materialist. The universe is all there is. The cosmos is all there is, ever was, or ever will be. That's their view. But they know the cosmos came into existence. What caused it? But they don't want to say something. But what are they left with? No thing caused the universe. Really? Now let me just make an observation. Even if it were possible, which it seems to me obvious that it's not possible to most level-headed thinkers, even if it were possible, it ain't the odds-on favorite. That's worse than magic. Because in magic, you've got a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but now you got no hat, and you got no magician. You just got the rabbit, the universe popping into existence. Maybe to make this a little more real, ladies, if you came home one night and you looked in the garage and you saw a brand new Mercedes SL in there, and you said, honey, where'd that brand new Mercedes SL come from? And the husband says, darling, it just popped into existence out of nothing. Are you going to believe him? No. Because it ain't the odds on favorite. What is the point that I'm trying to make? The point that I'm trying to make, in answer to the question, is that we have got a very good reason to believe that God exists because he's the best explanation for the existence of the universe, which we have pretty good reason to believe came into existence sometime in the distant past. And it's because the only other alternative, no thing caused the universe, is wildly counterintuitive. It's not the odds on favorite. We have the best explanation for the way things are in that particular case. By the way, that's a little line that I gave my daughter once, my 13-year-old when she was eight. And she said, how do we know that God is true? And I said, because he's the best explanation for the way things are. That is at the heart of a massive portion of my apologetic approach, trying to show the explanatory power of the Christian worldview 
And when I try to show the explanatory power of the Christian worldview, I always try to use questions. So if you remember nothing from this session, remember this. Take a tip from Lieutenant Colombo and always use questions. Amen. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps at a conference, please give him a call. Local number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh, 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 oh,